Hi everyone, uh, my name is Dan and I get the joy of talking to you today uh, from the Bible and today's topic uh, is work. Corona season has forced many changes in my work, you know, for my paid work and my unpaid work. And uh, maybe uh, it has affected your work too. I know many of us are now working from home and that brings uh, some benefits but some challenges as well. Maybe you've experienced a blurring of kind of when does work end and if my boss emails me at the end of the day, am I meant to reply then or can I wait till tomorrow? So there's kind of a, uh, a blurring of boundaries and I know some of us have found uh, that we're working even harder. Now some of us tried that at first because it's been a long season, right? We tried working harder and then we got tired and then motivation dropped because, you know, no one sees me and I don't have to put on those smart office clothes. Maybe I can just sit all day in my pajamas. And so then motivation's affected. I know there are some of us as well, and, and this is, is, is more serious, is that uh, kind of our, our jobs, our paid jobs have become less secure. I know there are some in our congregation who have lost work. There are others who have miraculously found work as well. I know there are some who, uh, we, we know there are redundancies going to happen in our company, and so we're not maybe worried for ourselves, but we're worried for others. And actually, if this is the situation you find yourself in, then we'd love to help. You know, we, we as a church want to support you. I've, in the past, uh, been made redundant two times, and it, it has a unique stress about it. So, you know, know that there's help. You don't have to go through it on your own. But this corona season has just kind of thrown everything uh, up in the air for many of us. I know as well that some of us are, are, are fearing we might get sick or fearing that others on the front line might get sick. I've been uh, talking to some teachers and the classroom's completely different. And, you know, the bringing of communities together again brings uh, a higher prevalence and chance of, of catching something. And so that plays on the mind as well as uh, forcing it to be a different job. There's a, uh, an increase in unpaid work as well. I know that many of us have been, uh, become kind of accidental home schoolers, uh, you know, trying to balance childcare at home. I've noticed that when I work from home, I eat more, which means I have to shop more, and it also means I need to clean more. I don't know if you've experienced that, but you know, the, the whole balance of work has shifted. Let me define work, and hopefully you've picked it up as well. When I'm talking about work today, I'm talking about all paid and unpaid vocational work, whether as an employee, a student, a parent doing childcare, or when you do housework. You know, if you're currently job seeking, if you're between things, then that's your work at the moment. Werner is going to read four verses to us. It's pretty fast. And I'd love to encourage you to follow on uh, in your Bible book. There's still some of those around or on your app. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 4 and it's verses 9 to 12. And I'm going to refer back to them shortly. Listen out to the part where Werner mentions work. Over to Werner. Good morning, Liberty. I'll be reading to us today from the Word of God out of 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9 to 12. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. 
for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Thanks, Werner. So the context of these verses is it's a fragment of a letter that uh, Paul, who was a church planter back in the first century BC, he writes it to a brand new church and he's wanting to encourage them how to live. They've become Christ followers and they're trying to figure out what does it mean? How do I live my life differently as a Christ follower? And if you're here and you wouldn't, uh, and you're viewing and you wouldn't say you're a Christ follower, I'd encourage you to keep listening because I think there are some principles that Paul brings out on how we can work that will be life-giving for you. And as a little teaser, I've saved the best one to the end. Paul talks about two big themes. Firstly, he talks about love, and he encourages them, he affirms them that they're loving each other really well and they should keep doing that. And then he talks about how they should work and how they should live uh, and so gain the respect of outsiders. And Paul's kind of saying outsiders are those not in this church of Thessalonica. But it's important to note that when Paul wrote this, he actually wrote one sentence and he's wanting to bring these two themes together. He's wanting us to understand how work and love go together. It's not necessarily a natural thing for us to think of. And what he's saying, you know, he's saying, you know, well done for loving one another in the church, but let's take this love even further. Here's the best way that you can love those around you. Here's the best way that you can love the city of Thessalonica and beyond. The best way is to do some work. To love other people through work. This is Paul's big idea in this verse. He's wanting to encourage those in the church to contribute to the city, not be uh, dependent on it, but it's broader than just financial dependence. Paul shows that there's a way that they can live in harmony with their city, seeking to serve it, not withdrawing from it and creating their kind of own little uh, church Christian bubble, but being fully integrated into the city. Paul was not seeing the city as something that, you know, they should take from and make it theirs, but something that we get to contribute to and make the city amazing. Paul is calling us as well to see that we're part of a bigger community, and it matters. Why? Because God wants to use us to reach as many with his gospel message, with the amazing good news of the Bible that this book brings. And how we live and how we work affects the society around us. We also want to love Amsterdam. I don't know if you've been on our website recently, but the second half of our mission statement is, states this. As a community, our desire is to love God. And that love compels us to love others. It causes us to love our city for the sake of that love, we long for the renewal in every corner of Amsterdam. A key way we can do this is through our work. But there's a bit of a plot twist. You might have experienced this. 
And maybe some of you are feeling it now, that kind of sinking feeling, oh no, I remember Monday's coming. Maybe some of us, many of us, perhaps all of us are just a little bit tired of work. Because work's hard, right? And we're gonna talk about that too. Let's first look at why work is good, and then we're gonna look at why work is hard. And then we're gonna bring the two things together. So firstly, why is work good? So we see in verse 12 that Paul tells them to work. And he's telling them because work is from God. In Genesis 1.28, we can read that God blessed them, that's Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So this is Adam's work. He's become kind of... CEO of the whole earth, of things that are living and growing on it. And that is still God's will for us today, that we will still work. And it goes on in Genesis, because God states, after he's made everything and given them work to do, God says, it is very good. And that includes work. So work is part of the creation mandate. It's what God intended for us to do in the Garden of Eden. And beyond, there's uh, a novelist and theologian called Dorothy Sayers, and she wrote a, a fascinating essay in 1942 called Why Work? And she says work should be like this. Work is, or it should be, the full expression of the worker's faculties, the thing in which he finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction and the medium in which he offers himself to God. I mean, don't you wish your work was like that? That God takes my talents and passions and he can turn them into worship. Now, that, now this isn't ideal. This, is, this isn't our daily felt reality more often than not, but Dorothy's wanting to lift our gaze to see, you know, this is what we're shooting for. This was God's original design. And sometimes we can still experience little glimpses of this. Before I was a pastor, I was an accountant. And my work was mostly spent in front of computers with spreadsheets, putting in numbers and trying to reconcile accounts. And that moment, and and I'll be honest, it's an accountant geeky moment, but that moment that would happen when I would finally reconcile the accounts, I would want to stand up fist pump the air and shout yes. However, I would quickly remember I'm an accountant and I would smile internally to myself. But today I would love to release all accountants to more fist thrusting into the air and shouting yes is not just for salespeople. But that for me was a little glimpse of, okay, I've done it and that's amazing and I'd really enjoy it. But those moments can sometimes be few and far between. What this verse also implies is that as long as we're able to, we're meant to work. You know, there's no early retirement in the Bible. Because why would you retire early? Why would you stop doing something that God says is good? That it's part of God's will. You know, as, as we age, you know, our work's certainly going to change. You know, as, as we get older, perhaps a little bit slower, maybe kids leave home and we have uh, more time, but our circumstances change, but there'll still be good work for us to do. 
Ephesians 2 verse 10. It's another letter that Paul writes to another church. And he clearly says, we, each one of us, have been created for good works. And that's for all of life. So actually, there's a little warning here that we need to watch our heart. If, you know, we've set early retirement as our goal, perhaps even we've uh, wanted to uh, set entrepreneurship or being our own boss as our goal. Because Paul is saying, no, work is good and, and integrating, being part of society is good as well. I also think there'll be work in heaven because God is, he's still sustaining all things. He's still creating things and that means that we get to as well. You know, in heaven, I'm sure there's gonna be learning, there's gonna be producing, there's gonna be stuff that we can put our hand to and, and get satisfaction from. So an application for this week because Monday is coming. You know, this is an opportunity to put this into practice. And really, this is, this is to hold this belief in your heart that work is from God, that it is good, and it's going to change how you do it. Now, you're going to have to preach to yourself often because we're going to forget this because, you know, tough situations are going to happen and things aren't going to go that well. But then we get to preach to ourselves and reaffirm that actually work isn't a necessary evil, but it is a generous gift from God. Number one, work is good because it's from God. Number two, Paul affirms that all work has equal dignity. Now, this is what he means when he uses that phrase, work with your hands. So for work to have dignity, it means that uh, all work is kind of worthy of honour and respect, and it's of equal value. You know, in uh, ancient Greece, manual labour was to be avoided. It was seen as the work of slaves, and, and, and people didn't want to be slaves. In Greek culture, you know, there were philosophers and kind of knowledge workers were, that was the prized, uh, the esteemed vocation for you to do, not the low-skilled labourer. And I think actually that's a challenge for us in Amsterdam today, that we tend to value vocation directly with salary. You know, we pay more the, for the jobs that we value the most. I think we also uh, kind of give respect in line with power, that if, if you're the big boss, then, then you know, there's more respect in society. Jesus was a carpenter. He worked with his hands. I imagine sometimes he, you know, he, he hit his hands and, and, and they were rough hands and he, he, he gets his hands dirty with his jobs. Uh, and this was probably a bit confusing for the Greeks when Paul comes talking to them about Jesus, this manual laborer. But Paul's also talking to them about Jesus, you know, the, the philosopher, the one of wisdom, Jesus, the one who was the son of God. The point is this. Did God value Jesus' work more when he was a carpenter or when he was in his ministry kind of preaching the gospel? The answer is no, that Jesus' ministry as a, a carpenter was of equal value as his ministry uh, when he was preaching and doing miracles. I was an accountant, now I'm a pastor. God doesn't value those works any differently. There is no kind of sacred spiritual work and non-sacred or secular work. That all work can be good work. Tim Keller, he puts it this way. 
To sweep the street or preach a sermon is to bring order out of chaos, is to take the material world which God loves and make that God loves and made it and make it orderly, livable and redeemable. Therefore, both sweeping the street and preaching a sermon are both valuable work. So there are no impressive vocations or blessed positions. You know, we, we tend to value work by the salary, the paycheck, by the status. And I want to encourage us that we, wanna, we need to be valuing all work equally, particularly unpaid work as well. That can, you know, those doing it can feel like the most undervalued people. So that application is this, that as we begin to believe and, and deepen our belief that all work has dignity, it has equal value, worthy of honour and respect, it's going to change the way that you see your work. It's going to change your aspirations, your self-esteem. You know, you'll see striving for recognition from the boss. It's going to change the way that you treat everyone. You're going to treat those with uh, equal who do kind of uh, manual labor with as much dignity as you would someone who's a chief exec. It's going to change your parenting, what you encourage your children to do. So that was number two. Why is work good? Because it's from God. It's a good thing and because it has equal dignity. Thirdly, Paul affirms that work is respected by others. You know, verse 13 uh, it says, aspire to live quietly, to walk properly, and gain the respect of others. And this is not a motivation, but an observation. Our quality of work and our attitude to work can impact others, and it can bring glory to God. Christian good works are to be of a high quality. You know, God, God wants us to do our best for him. He doesn't want us to kind of just scrape the pass mark, but to apply ourselves. Colossians 3, verse 23, again, it's Paul talking about work in a, a, to a different church. He's saying, whatever you do, work heartily, put your heart into it, working as though for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ. So this is to be our first motivation. When, when we're putting our hand to our work, paid or unpaid, that we're doing it firstly for God. We're doing it to seek God's uh, joy, his glory, and his, in, his reward to us. We're not doing it for our bosses. We're not doing it for the respect of others. We're not doing it for promotion or bonuses. We want to work with integrity, whoever is watching. This is an echo of 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. You know, this is the context of this part. The last two weeks, we've been talking about this, how we live pleasing to God. And I think when I, when I think about uh, uh, Amsterdam, I think that most of us don't need to be encouraged to do our best. I think many of us need to be encouraged not to strive for the best. And there's an encouragement from Dorothy Sayers. Uh, she says this, that when she's thinking about Jesus being a carpenter, she says, no crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever, I dare swear, came out of the carpenter's shop at Nazareth. Nor, if they did, could anyone believe that they were made by the same hand that made heaven and earth. You know, she's encouraging us to work hard, to do our best. 
But like I say, I, I, I think in Amsterdam, actually, the, the issue is that often we get jumbled between the ultimate standard or the work standard and, and what is God's standard. Now, sometimes the work standard's higher, sometimes it isn't. And we need real wisdom when we're applying ourselves to figure out uh, which one we're meant to be shooting for. Because some work standards are, are profit-driven. They're, you know, in, in a paid vocation, often your boss wants to get the most out of you. And sometimes it can be exploitative. Sometimes they're not wanting you to kind of flourish, but just to work really hard. So we need wisdom to know what it looks like for us to work for them. And sometimes that means putting boundaries in place and saying no. One of the things I remember uh, particularly uh, from the world of accountancy was, was the danger of comparison. The comparison can be a real poison in our hearts because I'd, I'd look around the team and, I, and I'd see the person who just was nailing it and I'd want to strive after that. And when I saw them nailing it, I'd just feel, well, not quite so good about myself. And other times I'd see others in the team and, and they were dropping balls. And, and that would cause pride to rise up in my heart. And we need to ask God, you know, what's his standard in this situation? We want to work excellently, but we want to find God's standards. And these are meant to be a light burden, not, the, not often the heavy burden that our, our bosses can put on us. God values faithfulness. He can give us wisdom. We can seek him to achieve his best from a place of liberty, even in the difficult situations, even in corona season. So the application is work hard in faith and then rest hard in faith that God's got it. We want to do our best faithfully, hour by hour, day by day. We don't strive for perfection but we believe as we work hard that this can build a bridge for the gospel message. It can build a platform for God's glory to shine to Amsterdam. So three reasons work is good that Paul gives us in this letter. That God ordained it. That all work has value and dignity and work can win the respect of others. But if it's so good, why then? Is it so hard? Why, why do the Monday blues happen? We need to go back to Genesis again because I said that work was there in creation. But what happens is that Adam and Eve, uh, you know, that there's a happy season, I'm sure, and then they begin to want to work for themselves. They want to work, they want to do their own thing. And uh, Eve eats the Adam and Adam eats Eve doesn't eat the Adam. Eve eats the apple. Adam eats the apple. And in doing so, you know, they're choosing what they want to do and how they want to do it and when they want to do it and not doing what God wants them to do. And that's the propensity that we're born with, that we're born wanting to do the things we want to do and not do what God wants us to do. And we call that sin. And so when sin enters the Garden of Eden, the most loving thing that God can do is take them out of it. And as a result of taking them out of that garden, a curse falls on them. And a curse specifically falls upon work. And this affects the way Adam then works. Because it was God mandated, but now there's a curse upon it. And the curse... Uh, 
means that work becomes toil. It becomes hard work. It becomes uh, a heavy burden. It becomes a burden. Genesis 3.17, it says this, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. So before the curse, Adam has green fingers. You know, he can plant seeds and he'll see them grow and they'll be incredibly fruitful and the fruit will taste delicious. And then after the curse, he's getting thistles. You know, his fingers are getting sore. He's having to work so much harder. There's no guarantee of good fruit every time. So the work goes from being this joy where he can just scatter liberally, knowing the birds aren't going to eat it, knowing that God's going to provide. And then afterwards, it's hard work. He's sweating like he wasn't before. I was thinking about Adam's relationship with the animals. You know, mice before. If you've ever watched the music, the, the movie called Stuart Little, I think all the mice were probably like Stuart Little. Charming, engaging, fun to play with. I imagine Adam probably built little mouse houses for them and little mouse boats for them to sail in. You know, he was in harmony with the mice. And then the curse comes and they become like Amsterdam mice. The honeymoon is over. The plagiarists have experienced Amsterdam mice. And so Adam goes from wanting to play with these cute little things to wanting to kill them, not being able to catch them, laying traps, laying poison, just can't get the pesky little things. Amsterdam mice from Stuart Listle. Let me just recompose myself. Adam would also have experienced, you know, stroking lions and enjoying that and them enjoying it. And then the curse happens and the lion wants to bite his hand off. I think most of us have had days a bit like that, where the work, we're enjoying it and then there's a twist and it just feels like it's wanting to eat us. I can think of numerous parenting examples, but you get the point that work was... You know, it was from a place of harmony and peace to being in tension and discord and just being hard. Work was meant to be satisfying and pleasurable, but now, actually, it's also toil. We live with both together. One day in heaven, it's going to be amazing and work's only going to be wonderful, but we're not there yet. But there is some hope because the story doesn't end there. Because when Jesus came and when he dies upon the cross, he uh, rises three days later and he takes away sin and death from the world. And and where where the fall kind of brought death into the world, um, so Jesus' death on the cross begins to restore it and he's beginning to redeem all things. So we can read verses uh, like in Colossians where we want to live for God and living to please him. It doesn't mean that we're living to appease him. When we want to please him, we're not living to appease him because of what Jesus did. We're not saved by our work, but we're saved by Jesus' work on the cross. Jonathan Edwards puts it this way, that it's impossible to do anything of true virtue It's impossible to do good work unless you've experienced the grace of God and the gospel. 
That's what we believe as Christ followers, that we must first experience the grace of God on the gospel because then we work for God, not for his approval because we've already got that. Again, Tim Keller says, we don't do things for God to get things from him. We do things for God simply to give joy to his heart because of what he's done for me. So we now get to partner with Jesus in our work. And he invites us into a new way of working with him. Matthew eleven twenty eight. these are the words of Jesus. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle, I'm humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this is an invitation to a new way of working. Jesus isn't saying, you know, if you're tired, then come to me and have a holiday. He's still encouraging us to work, but he's saying we work in partnership with him. We work from a place of deep soul rest, not from having a restless soul. There's an old film called Chariots of Fire, and it's the story of particularly two runners. Uh, and they both uh, seeking to enter the 1924 Olympics, uh, and they were meant to be in the same race, the 100 meters, but they end up in different races. But the one runner is a chap called Eric Liddell. He's uh, a Scottish Christian, and, and the key quote from the movie that he says is this. He said, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? The simple activity of running, we can feel God's pleasure if it's doing what he's called us to do. And so this chap, Eric, he runs with joy. He runs from a place of deep soul rest, accepting God's limits that he won't actually run on Sunday because that's the day he needs to rest. And then there's the other character, one called Harold Abrahams. And the quote that kind of sums him up is this. In one hour's time, I'll be out there again. I'll raise my eyes and look down the corridor, four feet wide, with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? He's running with uncertainty and insecurity, needing to justify his experience. You know, 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence, but will I? You can kind of hear that question echoing through his soul. And I think for us, if we pause for long enough, if we're honest with ourselves, actually we've asked that question or a similar version of it. Can I justify my existence today? I want to ask, how are you running? Are you running from a deep soul rest or from a restlessness? Because there's soul rest on offer today. Maybe you've never experienced it. Maybe you've never known what it is to, to receive Jesus' acceptance and love and affirmation. It's on offer today and working from that place is so different. Maybe you've known it, but actually you're just spinning a lot of plates 
And maybe it's going well, but it's just tiring. And, and Jesus would invite you back to know his rest once more. So how then do we live? How do we love society through our work? You know, if you know what Jesus has done for you, it means that you can truly work for others and for their benefit. It means that uh, when you want to reach out and you want to help someone who's poor or vulnerable or hurting, you're not doing it to make yourself feel better, but you're doing it simply because that poor, vulnerable, hurting person is really valuable to God. It means that we do it even when we feel like our hands are tied. Maybe we're in a situation we can't do it as well as we want to, but we're going to try and press through anyway and love society through our work. It means doing it excellently. It means doing it faithfully, whether we're seen or whether we're not seen. It means we're working to serve. We aim to contribute, to use our time, our treasure, and our talents, our treasures, our money, in a way to serve Amsterdam. We haven't, we're, we're not seeing Amsterdam as, you know, bless me, serve me, I wanna take from you, but we're wanting to keep working in harmony with what Amsterdam is doing. So let me bring it uh, to a conclusion. Because I think the big question is, how do we face Monday? How, how do we work in light of the now and the not yet? That work is good, but it's toil. And there's a choice before us. And it's a choice that, that knowing work is hard, we're going we're gonna to do it anyway. We're going to give it our best. We're going to know that we find dignity for now, that we can walk in obedience to God for now and trust God for the future, that we can work with faithfulness, we can work with integrity for now in a hope that in the future it's going to build bridges for the gospel, that it's going to bring glory to God. That for now we can trust God for a breakthrough, maybe in our industry, that we might change it a little bit, or maybe we're trusting God to deliver us from a toxic situation. We can work from a place of knowing God's pleasure as we do it and reminding ourselves that God doesn't waste any of our work, that our work, our good works can carry through into eternity. We work from a place of deep soul rest, not a soul restlessness, but knowing that one day we'll have ultimate rest in him. So I'm wanting to encourage us to love Amsterdam through the good works that God has given each one of us to do. Can I pray for us? Yeah, Father God, I thank you that you give us good gifts. I thank you that you can, by your Holy Spirit, empower us to do our best. I thank you for Jesus' invitation to partner with him. And I pray, God, that this message uh, might bring hope and might bring joy. I pray that for those of us who needed a bit of challenge, it might have brought that too, that facing Monday might uh, give us a, a fresh motivation to do our best for God. God, I pray that you would help uh, us in Liberty Church and whoever's watching be known for their good works, that as a result, we might see your gospel spread even further and see God glorified beyond ourselves. 
I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.